HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This piece has been brought to you by Bonnie Plants, bonnieplants.com. I'm Laura Stanley, host of Inside School Food. You are listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Listening to Eat Your Words on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Kathy Irway. It's a great day here in Brooklyn. Um, starting to look a little bit more like spring. Uh, we have Memorial Day ahead of us in a week or so. So um, I'm looking forward to picnicking in the park. Um, but to discuss a trending topic of the last week, it was actually a couple of weeks ago that this happened. Maybe you heard about it around the media world. But uh, Eater, so Eater, the, the you know, very popular restaurant uh, and other food writing uh, website, um, there was a little bit of a scandal when it was um, an unearthed that one of its food critics, Nick Solares, had been previously, several years ago, a member of a band that was uh, sort of this punk rock, white supremacist le- leaning, like skinhead sort of thing. And, uh, you know, that was a big... Uproar, he apologized and said that's not who he is anymore, but, you know, he, he uh, you know, caught up in the wrong, you know, folks, uh, groups in the past and um, all seemed to be forgot- forgiven for a while there. But then Eddie Huang opened his big mouth and wrote an op-ed in Grub Street where he uh, well, not only, you know, expressed sort of, a, you know, Paul at the uh, idea of a food writer having possible, you know, bigot uh, or biased leanings, he really brought up how much responsibility should Eater bear in the hiring of Mr. Solaris. And I, I think that's a really interesting question. You know, what is due diligence when it comes to hiring uh, anyone with, a, with a, any kind of checkered past, really? And nowadays that that, you know, we have so much social media out there. We have so many clippings of ourselves. I would imagine it's it's not too difficult to dig a little. But uh, 
you know, what do you do when, when that happens? I, I don't know. Like, David, we just recently hired you at Heritage Radio. <laughs> did we, I don't know how much we looked into your past. Are you, uh, did you, were you in a skinhead band? Are you a bigot? Oh my God. <laughs> I mean, no, absolutely how does this not. work? No, I don't, I don't, I don't have any skeletons like that. I can, I can proudly say, but, uh, I mean, do you think it's a good idea going forward to, you know, if we're trying to promote diversity and for publications that are, or any kind of media organization that does not want to be associated with racism, should we? Should yeah. everyone? Yeah, I mean, like, of course, any organization should be doing its homework. And, mm-hmm. you know, with the internet now, it's it's made it possible to really dig and go far back on somebody. I, I definitely think yeah. that's that's something that that is the responsibility of any responsible employer. I mean, it's yeah. just... and, and the 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 way you phrased it how he he apologized he's not that way anymore mm-hmm. it's like uh okay but that means you're saying you were like that and <laughs> I, that's just not okay i mean but if you're young i don't know maybe you had a maybe somebody had a sexual harassment issue when they were young and maybe they made I don't know. It could be all kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, I, every every situation and mm-hmm. is unique. Like it's all uh, individual circumstances for sure. But but yeah, that's just that is kind of yeah kind of disturbing. I think it is disturbing too because um, I don't know. I think that bias does leak into food writing and all kinds of journalism. So who knows? Yeah, absolutely, what the consequences are. So I don't know. Maybe we'll see more sort of dialogue or trying to. Uh, you know, figure out ways to to screen people in the future yeah. with uh, all the information that we can access. Um, okay, so uh, going on to our wonderful, wonderful guest today. Uh, maybe she has some thoughts on this too, which uh, she can certainly chime in. Uh, <laughs> we've got on the line Diana Abu Jabbar, who is a acclaimed novelist. Her latest book is a memoir. It's called Life Without a Recipe. And Diana, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Kathy. I'm happy to be here. How are you? And and what do you think? What do you take from that little snippet? Do you think that wow we should be suspicious? <laughs> or that's fascinating. <laughs> that's a really tough one mm-hmm. um, because yeah, how much how much of the past are we um, responsible for? Yeah. You know what? You know what's the difference between youthful indiscretion and uh, a really problematic kind of uh, track record, shall we say, you know, and uh, definitely I I do think, you know, when you look at uh, the way we uh, examine politicians, we want there to be full accountability. So, yeah, yeah, I could see that that following somebody into their and into a career in journalism because, that too is uh, a role of great responsibility to the public. So, yeah, and I maybe, could see it. Maybe people will be just all the more aware that every action they do when they're young and being crazy and you know who knows making mistakes will be recorded. <laughs> so, oh boy, oh, yeah. you know that's one thing I will say. I'm, I'm very grateful I grew up before there was social media. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Well, you actually, in your memoir, you you control the dialogue of your past here. <laughs> so yes. No, but yes. you, you went there and um, you um, relived, uh, I guess, most much of your life through this book, without, Life Without a Recipe. Um, and yes. I love that it's, you know, it, we start out with 
um, you're growing up in a household where you're sort of, you're really caught between two worlds in the kitchen. So your yeah. dad is Jordanian and, uh, and your grandmother and he, your grandmother on your maternal side, that is, uh, really spar in this like war in the kitchen to win, um, the just win favor for you through food. Um, that's right. That's right. It was uh, oh, it was an ongoing family war. Your grandmother seems to have this uh, opinion that you know people who don't make cookies or cook the way or think the way she thinks about cooking is is somewhat you know is somewhat less than as a, as a there's a some quote in there that, <laughs> <laughs> where she's you know kind of stewing about this, um, right? You know and. and I, I think that she takes a lot of pride in her cooking, which is delightful. But do you think that she took to your father's cooking as a, a lower form than her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, she did. She, uh, well, you know, she was a baker. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, I came to discover when I grew up that cooks and bakers are really two very different kinds of personalities. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, you know, Dan was this sort of dashing, improvisational, you know, um, immigrant. Uh, so he, he, had, um, he had this sort of very fast and loose personality, but he was also from a place that my grandmother saw as very exotic and even kind of menacing. <laughs> and um, so it, it operated on a lot of levels. You know, it was personal, it was cultural, it was gender. Um, my grandmother was just fed up with men. You know, she was just, she was done. <laughs> and, uh, so right there, um, she was ripe for war with my father. <laughs> they and, were not off uh, to a good start. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> Diana, if you don't mind, I would love to read two short little passages that really illuminate those those two personalities uh, from your Great. book. Okay. So we'll start with Grace, your grandmother. Uh, Grace understood herself better when she baked. She settled into herself and heard her inner voice more clearly. Baking can become a bigger conversation in which the mind rambles far and wide. You consider not only the amount of sugar, but the way it glitters, the smell of its dust as you level it with a cup. Grace spoke of the elegant process of following a recipe, step by step, to some satisfying conclusion. Of course, that wasn't my style. I couldn't leave a a recipe in peace, but had to be continually worrying it and playing with it. And then I'm going to read a little passage about your dad cooking. Sure. During the week, my father works two or more jobs, but Saturday breakfast is a profusion. The sizzling morsels of lamb on the fava beans, diced tomatoes, celery, and onion on the hummus. Tidy, half-fried eggs bundled around their yolks. We hurry to sit, then spend half the meal begging Bud, come to the table, sit down, sit. Always, he wants to slice one more cucumber. (laughs) Definitely not following a recipe there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, um, So your book... Life without a recipe. I think that's just a really, a really uh, great starting off point for um, talking about the meaning of this book. Because, I, I mean, which which style of cooking do you would you seem to, or would you say even now you tend to favor the more freewheeling, mm-hmm. um, 
mm. you know, improvisational style or the kind uh. of strict baking mentality? That's such a good question. Because um, you, you well, grew up with both, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a it's a tough question because it's it's got a lot of layers to it. I think um, when I was younger, I loved baking and uh, I was really devoted to it, and and in large part because I loved the the end result of baking. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that was something that. I used to bake regularly um, on a weekly basis, if not a daily basis. And um, after my daughter was born, that was a huge part of um, our daily ritual was, you know, all kinds of of baking and showing her how to measure ingredients and um, Mm. following that kind of scientific formula. But... um, as I got older and I was diagnosed with high blood pressure, um, I learned that I really needed to stop doing that. And I gradually uh, have switched over to more of an improvisational cooking approach. And so I have found my father, <laughs> you know, now in, in my 40s and 50s now, um, I have uh, come over to my father's side of things because it turns out it's healthier for me. You oh, know, it yeah. turns out that it's, uh, it's a better approach to eating. Um, so it's been really kind of a fascinating journey for me. And yeah, I've completely swapped sides, Uh-oh. I guess you'd say. Do you ever yeah. feel like guilt and pressure, or did you when you're growing up? I know there's this passage where you make a lamb. That is, uh, your grandmother turns up her nose at because it seems mm, to have yes. traces of your father's influence in it. And um, but do you do you feel that um, you know that sense of like guilt, I guess, or loyalty towards one or the other um, coming up a lot in your everyday cooking? Yes. I do, mm-hmm. I do, um, and and it became clearer to me as I was writing, as, as you know, I progressed through life without a recipe. I realized um, that both of those styles of cooking, and especially certain recipes and dishes, I really associate with either my grandmother or my father, and um, and especially when I made my grandmother's. When I baked her pastries and dishes, I always thought about how she kind of used it as a weapon. Um, you know, she was really trying to use the, these these cookies and these pastries as a way to lure the children. I, I mean, very effectively too. Um, Dad, Dad, his cooking was more. This is what you do. This is this is our life at home. This is, this is, you know, he was just unabashed. He was absolutely convinced the Mediterranean diet was the best diet. Um, this was the freshest, healthiest food. This was the most delicious food. Um, so it wasn't, it wasn't quite as loaded and as specific uh, a weapon as my grandmother's baking was. And, uh, yeah, 
now as an adult, I do. Every time I made her uh, Warsh cakes, uh, her little German cookies, I, uh-huh. I always think about my dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's like you're, you're, yeah, it's like you're eating something that is uh, going to offend somebody. <laughs> right, uh, right. Right. I mean, I think yeah. that that's really interesting. It made me start thinking about, you know, how much of our sense of taste stem from this sense of loyalty to our elders um, oh, or perhaps so lack thereof. I mean, you know, having having grown yeah. up myself in a in a kitchen that uh, was split between two worlds, I often have this uh, little debate and sometimes try mm-hmm. to I actually so I sometimes try to mix the two cultures and cuisines. Yeah. Uh, do you do yeah. that ever? Oh, so much, so much. Okay, I, so I love, I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I actually think that that's a, it's a great answer to this kind of a conundrum um, because, you know, we are, we are products of both our worlds, um, or, or for some of us, many worlds. And so, when you can play with the ingredients and preparations, you can make something your own. And I, and I like a lot of those recipes. I have a recipe. Um, that borrows from my father. It's uh, uh, roast chicken with stuffed with za'atar stuffing. Ooh. And so, yeah, it's, it's yeah. yummy, <laughs> if I may say so myself. Um, <laughs> it's, um, you know, it's a classic American preparation, mm-hmm. the roasted chicken with, with butter, but it also has this, um, you know, classically Middle Eastern spice um, mix, uh, za'atar and and, um, you know, and I love wedding those flavors together and just kind of feeling like, now this belongs to me. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or I recently made uh, tahini chocolate chip cookies. Ooh. And, um, yeah, very satisfying. You know, it, they, they were delicious, and it made me feel like, like a little victory, like, okay, this is neither here nor there, but it's me. Right. This is... Right. I find myself in that in-between place, and it's it's very uh, it's very consoling. It's very lovely. So maybe instead of like life without a recipe, it's like making up your own recipes too as yes. you go along. Yeah. Um, let's talk more about um, this book and your journey that you take through it. Um, we need to cut to a quick little commercial interlude, but we'll be right back with uh, chatting more mm-hmm. with you. just your garden it's the way you live and there's so much to know but you have help bonnie plants now with bonnie's app homegrown you can learn about veggie and herb varieties track and record your garden with photos and notes share on facebook and twitter and so much more how'd you ever grow without it get homegrown with bonnie plants for iphone and android the more you know the better you can grow with bonnie 
All right, we're back chatting more with Diana Abu-Jabbar. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, Diana, are you still there? Just checking. I'm here, yep. Great. Um, so let's talk a little bit about what inspired you to start uh, to write this memoir, because you've written four novels, uh, including Crescent. You've also written um, The Language of Baklava, which was uh, uh, more explored your father's identity as an Arab-American. And, um, you know, so this this book really concerns uh, more your identity as a wife and a mother. So just just curious what inspired you to to go off on this new uh memoir new new thing um yeah it's it's funny because i i i don't think of myself as a a writer of nonfiction. um Mm -hmm. i uh, i write novels and um and that's what most of my books are but uh, these memoirs seem to keep happening. <laughs> I was saying that uh, you know last week I sort of kicked off a whole month of memoirs about food. So, oh, so really? You're, yeah, you're you're uh, starring in the month. <laughs> so interesting. Yeah, it is, it's pretty weird. You know, there's a, there's a whole uh, crop of them. It's really exciting. Yeah, it, it, you know, I have found that I love reading culinary memoirs. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I love the whole genre, and uh, it's something I discovered, uh, well, probably with um, MFK Fisher, um, but then quickly Ruth Reichel and, uh, you know, several other writers that just really spoke to me, and I found myself drawn to the form. Um, my editor actually originally suggested, uh, after I wrote my second novel, Crescent, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's a very much a food-oriented novel, and she said, you know, you did all this work on researching these recipes and these dishes, why don't you go ahead and tell your family stories? And um, at the time, I, I thought I, you know, there was no way I didn't have enough material, but... Um, I discovered, I started listing dishes and memories and food connections in the family, and I I had to cut my manuscript in half because it was, <laughs> wow. it was so long. Um, so with, um, with Life Without a Recipe, I kind of got to a point where I felt like I had written my father's story, and, right. you know, as a young man, I should say, his, his American story in in the language of baklava, and I wanted to kind of own my own, you know, I, I felt like it was time for me to talk about um, my recipes, mm-hmm. and uh, my, uh, particularly my approach to trying to have a, a writing life, because um, that was something that was such a big struggle for me and a, a huge question when it came to thinking about whether or not to start a family. Um, you know, it was something I had been advised against. I had several writing advisors oh, tell really? me. Don't have a baby? Yeah. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I, I'm so glad you did, Diana. I mean, I, I love this one scene that you describe. Um, it's a hilarious scene, but you're speaking with a group of graduate students in women's studies, and they're yeah. they're like dissecting this short story of yours and looking for meaning and things like the male gaze and something like the 
the, a phallocentric entity or whatever that means or something like that. And it's really funny because you're sitting there and you're um, you're mortified because you had recently uh, written a an erotica novel or something like yeah, that. Yeah, an adult novel. An yeah. adult novel as a paying gig, and uh, and I, I guess. As a successful female writer now, do you do you feel obliged to sort of further the dialogue and in, in uh, you know female identity through in literature? Is that a, a concern that comes up often? Well, I I think about it a lot because uh, I do feel like women don't um, we don't get the kind of support and the kind of attention that we should. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that if you just look at the Vita statistics or um, statistics on what women are paid in terms of um, book contracts, uh, we're still really um, under the radar in that respect. And uh, even though there are so many brilliant women novelists and writers, um, uh, we still have to to have these movements. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, getting encouraging women to claim their authority and and um and each other so i do i i feel very strongly you know i am a feminist i believe in equal rights for men and women um and and i believe in equal rights for our stories you know i i i can't count the number of times men have come to my readings and when they ask me to sign a book it's always for a woman you know, oh, it's it's always wow. for their sister or their mother or their daughter. Mm-hmm. Just they're embarrassed, they're, they're... you know, to ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so it's frustrating, but it's, I think it's a very important struggle. Yeah. Well, I mean, okay, so this, you know, your this memoir, it is um, so fulfilling in so many ways for anyone just interested in food, for one thing, and, uh, you know, growing up in different cultures and so forth. Um, I, I think that, you know, in telling your life through food, it's also really a great way to explore the relationships um, that you've had because it, you always eat. It's just like an everyday thing. And, um, you know, I love how you recall um, your first husband, um, you know, how you guys cooked through the Moosewood cookbook and, uh, mm-hmm. you know, all these mm-hmm. little very specific details um, about the dishes that you would make. It recalls the yeah. context of that time and place and who you were then. Um, so I, I think that, you know, writing about your your decision to focus, you know, this memoir um, about yourself through food is a really great way to capture, um, I guess, all the all the relationships um, that, that you go through in life in a yeah. very succinct way and telling way. Um, so I really enjoyed it's that. A- Oh, I'm so glad to hear that, Kathy. I, I think it's a great a great filter for anyone who's mm-hmm. uh, interested in telling their life story. You know, think about a think about a sensory detail, um, and it brings everything back in this kind of intensely heightened way. You just you get so much more, I think, when you start with the senses and then let the book uh, go from there. And that's such a universal thing. I think men, women alike, you know, um, nowadays, what's interesting is that, you know, as you recall from your father's cooking, more men are cooking these days. I I think that less and less women are like, (laughs) you know, the only ones Uh, cooking at least. So I I don't don't know, um, you know, what exactly uh, 
a male written food memoir uh, would look like. But um, so, you know, you mentioned a few writers that you like, um, food memoir writers, mm-hmm. um, MFK Fisher. Um, is there any others that you would be, you know, you're inspired by? Oh, gosh. Um, you know, there's so many uh, amazing, amazing food writers. Um, and, uh, yeah, gosh, uh, you know, I just read Jacques Pepin's um, oh, food memoir. Mm-hmm. Oh, what a, just a, a brilliant, um, and Monique Trong, she writes um, fiction, but with a, a strong food element, um, Kate Christensen, um, her food memoir, Blue Plate Special, is fantastic. Um, uh, yeah, now now it all goes out of my head. But um, oh, and of course Ruth Reichel's uh, Tender at the Bone, and then oh, wow, her subsequent yeah. memoir is just beautiful. Um, but I do think of MFK Fisher as kind of the uh, quintessence of the form. She's hmm. just literary, sensitive, a brilliant. And very, very sensuous. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's. I, I think that there's so many writers nowadays who, who say they're inspired by MFK Fisher, and you really see that in the prose, um, including yours. Oh. So that's really good oh. to know that you're also a fan. I'm, I'm honored. I'm honored. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> so you. on this show, we like to play a little game with our guests, and um uh, I know it's a surprise, so apologies for that. But it's a little bit of a quiz. And mm-hmm. I'm going to take a quote. It happens to be from a food writer uh, in this case. And um, I'm going to give you three guesses of who it's written by. Oh, okay. Okay. So the quote is, It isn't only the expense, the monotony, and the false taste of the food inside most tins and jars and packages which turn me every day more against them. The amount of space they take up, the clutter they make, and the performance of opening the things also seemed to me quite unnecessarily exasperating. Mm. Um, <clears throat> okay, there's another quote, but I'll, I'll just stick with that one. Okay, so was okay. that written by A, Alice Waters, B, Madur Jaffrey, or C, Elizabeth David? Oh, wow. <sighs> <laughs> Give me the give me the names again. Alice Waters, um, who is the food you know local food pioneer from the seventies. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Or Madur Jaffrey. Uh, no. Brilliant. No, it's not her. Okay. Or Elizabeth David, no. British fifties food writer. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely Elizabeth David. That says there's no way that's Alice Waters. That's but, Elizabeth David. You're right. That would really? be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was looking for something juicier she may have written, but I, I just thought that this, like, sort of, you know, everyday observations um, that, yeah, you know, that she yeah, peppers everything yeah. with are, are kind of fun. Oh, good. Um, yeah. Well, well done there. Very cranky. <laughs> yeah, exactly. A little bit cranky, a little bit just obtuse in some way or another, which is yeah. which is what we love to read from from our forebears, I guess, in, in food writing. Yeah. So. Yeah, yeah. No, it's it's good. It's very it's uh it really shows you how different the sensibility comes through and how people like to live in their kitchens. Mhm. And it's a little bit ahead of its time, I think, with the disdain for the packaged foods. I, I you know, yeah. in the 50s, everything ever that was all the rage, I think. So 
Yeah. Knows? Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, that's, it reminds me actually a lot of my, my mother because she loved those things. Oh, so, um, no. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad you enjoyed this little game of, uh, literary who, who wrote it. Um, and uh, yeah. I guess, uh, unfortunately, that's about all the time we have for today. But I'm so glad that uh, you could join us for a few to chat about this exciting new book. And oh, um, tell us, you. where can we read about um, upcoming events? You got I know you're on Twitter as D. Abu Jabbar. Yeah. And um, we have a website yeah. at uh, do, 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 just dianaabujabbar.com. Yes, just my name. Yep. Excellent. Yep. So looking forward to your next memoirs or novels, whichever they may be as well. Ah, thank you, Kathy. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> looking forward to getting back to the novel. That sounds good. We'll look forward to that then. All thank right. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Diana. Thanks everyone at Heritage. We'll see you next week on Eat Your Words. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening. So good inside